This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We have as our guest, Malou. Malou, welcome. Oh, thank you, Altaz. Hello, everyone. My name is Malou Septien Milan, and I'm the president of CryptoPawn LLC. I also happen to be a consultant for a large corporation, and I've spent quite a bit of time in my career um, reducing risk in Fortune 100s in driving cyber, privacy, GRC, and risk management all up. Wonderful. It's great to have you. Yeah, that's great. Um, So, you know, if we just dive right into this, Malou, um, we find that there's a gap that exists in terms of business executives and board expectations around risk, cyber risk or application risk, and the execution of the determination of where we are from from a security posture perspective. So, you know, there are stories of CISOs producing reports for executives and board members that are really all around the number of vulnerabilities that have been caught or investments that need to be made. And then we've got on the business side, the discussion is really more about what is the return on any funding that's going to be coming out of of that. Can you speak from your experience a little bit about this gap that exists between these two groups? Yeah, absolutely. I actually happen to to live it almost every day, and, and that's part of what I do. Um, I clearly see the gap um, because we're focused on different things, right? The, the board wants to know how, how are we doing and what help do you need, and what, how does that help equate to dollars relative to the risk? And so that's the level of conversation that a technology leader needs to be able to articulate. And to me, we need to figure out how to tell the story. So, so for all of you listeners, if you're a, a CISO or a CIO that owns the risk agenda, the technology risk agenda, um, to me, it needs to start with um, a story that says, look, security is not a thing, it's a life cycle. And it really begins with identifying the assets we want to protect, a set of controls that we will use as in a framework to be able to measure our risk posture relative to the control set, and then really educate the board on the potential type of attacks and responses to then be able to say, how ready are we given the current level of investment to detect, respond, and recover in, in terms of you know, having experienced an attack, right? A, a, major, a major vulnerability. And it's at that level of conversation that I think um, we need to be able to, to walk into to a board and say, here's, therefore, here's what I need from you and here's why, because here's the risk exposure. To, to your point, you know, Altus, if you cannot manage what you cannot measure, is something that I always use in my Lean Six Sigma days and running risk. Now, the question is, how do you measure that cybersecurity posture? And that really is the beginning of, a, of an exercise, right? Um, and before you measure that, you need to start with that security life cycle. And to me, one of the most 
important frameworks that we use in industry is the NIST-CSF. Um, why? Because it, it really starts driving the idea of identifying what are your critical assets first and then protecting them. So if you have no investment to identify them and your identification process is all manual, then that's the beginning of the conversation. And as you move through that framework, if you don't have the level of protective measures in place, um, then that's another opportunity for investment and so forth as you work around the circle. So let mm-hmm. me take a pause and, and see how that resonates with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, you touched on some things that I've been seeing as well as we look at scaling security beyond being a technical activity. Um, many times, I found that the discussion from the executive perspective is that security is some kind of a mysterious technical activity that needs to be performed. We will fund it. And then, you know, they're trying to to find out what value is coming back in terms of resiliency or in terms of risk reduction in some way, given that this is now a board level and executive level decision and the accountability lies with them. I think we're starting to see much more questioning, and we're starting to see many more areas of the business now starting to engage in things like cybersecurity, in software development. So for example, legal teams and and other teams are beginning to, to start to take a look at this more closely. And I think it touches on something that you brought up, which is really interesting, which is about being lean. Um, I found that many times when we talk about security, we we need to also consider the value add for each activity as it pertains to what the business is looking for. So for example, mm-hmm. let's say there's a regulatory need, then are all of the activities that we are doing that form the value stream around security or value streams, do they map to ultimately providing data that is being measured mm-hmm. against this cybersecurity uh, limitation or or does it allow us to understand our current and future state so that we could then go in there and have a proactive discussion around funding? Um, can you talk a little bit more about this, this idea of lean? Because mm-hmm. as we take, you know, dev and ops and dev sec ops, and now it's becoming dev sec ops legal and it's everything and everything is becoming continuous. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so when we walk in, um, to talk to boards, I think it's important to start with understanding the attack surface for their, the company that they're accountable for protecting, right? And that starts with number of customers, the number of products, the number of employees, um, with the type of roles, you might have engineers versus operations, the number of countries, the number of offices, the number of data centers, the SaaS app, the endpoints, the corporate host, the cloud host, and external IPs. Start with that. Okay, that's your attack surface. And then say, to your point, Altas, not everything is as important as everything else. So we need to have a criteria to define what are those crown jewels. And those crown jewels by you know, definition are those most important and most critical assets to that business. Let's think of it as a house, right? That needs to be protected to maintain that operational continuity, availability, and quality of service. So the crown jewels have to be categorized in some way. Um, one thing, one way in which I like thinking of this problem is I categorize crown jewels in data, products, infrastructure, and people. 
if you're not a product company, then you're a service company. If you're a product and service company, then you have both, right? In the case of, say, a Microsoft where I used to work, right? Um, and then you really start saying, okay, what are the top data elements? You're going to have intellectual property and you're going to have, which is typically your BII, and then you're going to have customer data, financial data, employee data, right? Um, products, you know, what are the key products? Not all of your products might be as important. Maybe you're sunsetting some products in your portfolio. And I'm talking, you know, software products in this case. And then same thing with infrastructure and then your people. And, you know, your people, you got to start with, you know, obviously employees and secondarily contractors, right? And then finally um, think of your supply chain and your third-party risk. And so if you start prioritizing, go through an exercise of prioritizing is how are you going to even prioritize that? Then, then I go into what does a typical threat scenario look like and how likely is that risk? in terms of level of sophistication from the attacker, as well as the criteria by which you define if it's a low, medium, or high risk. And then that will help you then start creating a risk matrix upon which you can start saying, okay, should that scenario occur, do we have the right level of investment? Or are we in a red flag status in terms of our ability to uh, protect, detect, respond, and recover to that threat? Mm -hmm. That, That's interesting. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. it does. Um, and and so if you if you were to come alongside a chief security officer, um, you know, and they're trying to to make a convincing argument to go and 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 to take a look at these initiatives from a security perspective, um, sometimes that can lead to frustration, and it it almost feels like you know there's a there's this gap that exists. Um, what advice would you give? tangibly for that security officer to take in order to help take, you know, the steps forward to reach out to the business and, and try to speak their language? Are there some things that you've seen, some templates or some frameworks or, or anything, any guidance that you could provide? Yeah. So from a cyber perspective, I would say start with the common cybersecurity framework that aligns with the industry and national security best practices, right? 50% of U.S. organizations and 16 critical infrastructure sectors follow it, right? It's also going to be a requirement of the presidential order, and it's expected to be followed by more, more than the 20 states that already follow it and are required to follow it in order to protect the supply chain in 2021, right? Um, so we're already halfway into the year mm -hmm. um, and the many of these companies also have, you know, certain certifications that they must maintain. So it's twofold, not just how do you maintain the certification that you already have, which then gives you competitive advantage as a business, but secondarily, let's have conversation with the business. If you're having conversations about what data you need to protect, the very first question is what business processes manage that data? And I'll give you a perfect example, right? In the case of healthcare, which we're just living through the pandemic, a lot of healthcare businesses are top of mind. As a matter of fact, there's a new uh, publication that just happened to provide some uh, feedback for, we're going to close on that in, the, in NIST for uh, telemedicine, telehealth. And that is, if, you're, if you are uh, running a digital business and you happen to be in the healthcare business, how do you identify where that healthcare information is, FPI information. And so any data incoming, any data you process, and any data outgoing from your company is protected. And then there are critical process steps 
uh, that are going to be, as I call in the moments of truth for that data, that are going to help you prioritize where you're going to need a uh, heightened level of cybersecurity protection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. It does. And I'd like to turn it then and, and start to look at this now from the business perspective as well. We've got um, the business is, is trying to move towards increasingly becoming more and more digital. And in so doing, um, there may be federated decision making, for example. Um, and it's very hard to try and maintain security when the decision making process is, is being done by several people. And there may be an acquisition of a SaaS product, for example, that is there to enable the the thrust around going digital, but maybe it hasn't gone through all of the security checks, for example. Um, So are there any, like, is there anything you could say to a board member, an executive, a business leader from, from their standpoint as they engage with the security community within their organizations or, or even within, within their supply chain um, on what are some of the things that they could be doing as well to help from a security perspective? Yeah, so, so the very first thing is, you know, and I've actually been in a couple scenarios in the middle of very massive M&As where the M&A is a potential risk because of a security concern, right, mm-hmm. by either party. Mm-hmm. So to, to me, the one thing I would say is if, if you're a board member, you know, you're responsible for making sure that the appropriate security measures are in play as part of that M&A activity, right? So what is the identifying, the first, the start of the very beginning, what is the as-is cybersecurity posture as it relates to a foundational framework? Like we mentioned, CFS, CSF is a very basic one. You can also use CISV8, which is already out. Um, and then determine, you know, am I high, medium, low risk across all of the different controls for, for the acquiring company as well as the incoming company, right? Because you're as weak as your weakest link. And if that assessment comes back as a potential risk, then that's the beginning of a cybersecurity project for that M&A to be able to, to be executed, right? Wonderful. Yeah. There's so much more that could be said about this, uh, especially when we talk about things with supply chain and and going digital. Um, The whole operating model of businesses, they're they're rapidly evolving at this point to start to take a look at artifacts that were traditionally, um, you know, exclusively physical, but now also taking a look at things that are in the digital realm at this point. But at this point, I think we'll just, we'll close off the podcast I just wanted to say, Malou, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. This has been very enlightening. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer? Check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today. Want more of the Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.